Let us pray. As the rains shower the earth, O God, might your grace and mercy shower upon us. We ask you to silence in us any voice but your own and transform us by the hearing of your word, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to John, beginning at the 15th verse of the 14th chapter. Let us hear God's word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember when my grandfather, my father's father, died. My grandmother had died more than a decade earlier, and my grandpa faced widowhood with extraordinary grace. I remember it. It was a Palm Sunday. He was 92. He got up, had breakfast, put on his suit, drove to church, sat down in his pew, and died. And aside from a little drama for the ushers that I can only imagine now, it is, I think, how I would like to go, and perhaps some of you. Now, we lived in another town, and I remember when the church called our home to tell us this news. My father took the call and spoke for a few minutes with the minister who we knew, hung up, and he simply said, Now I am an orphan. Now I am an orphan. I remember that very clearly. I thought it both a poignant thing to say and unexpected, my father. An only child was almost 60 years old, fully an adult with a spouse and children. His father had lived a long and full life. Now I am an orphan. It wasn't mine to understand then or now, but certainly is mine to remember. Now I was far from a psychology major. But I remember at one point learning about something called the hierarchy of needs. 
a theory devised in the 40s by psychologist Abraham Maslow to help understand what motivates people, what makes us happy. Now I realize there may be counselors in the room. Give me a little slack as I go through this. Maslow's theory is often portrayed in a kind of pyramid from the most basic need to the most complex. One, physiological, what your body needs, food and water and sleep. Two, safety, your body being secure, your resources being secure. Three, love and belonging, the love of family and friends. Four, esteem. Whether it's self-esteem or confidence or achievement, respecting others, being respected by others. And five, at the top of Maslow's pyramid, self-actualization, it's called. Having a sense of morality and creativity and problem-solving. Now remember, I was far from a psychology major. I certainly wouldn't psychoanalyze my father, especially in a setting like this. But my hunch is that for him, and not just for him, but for all of us, I bet, is that when we face a traumatic loss, a death or some other thing that is traumatic to us, our sense of safety and security is shaken. What has always been is no more. And our sense of love and belonging is shaken even more. Now I am an orphan. Well, between the two lessons we've heard this morning, the Bible makes a kind of interconnected move, a rhythm, a cadence. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles, from which Pam just read, Paul makes a dramatic speech in which he reminds his non-Christian listeners that they are, regardless of their beliefs, God's offspring. And then Jesus, in words we read after Easter, but that were uttered before the crucifixion to comfort his followers, tells us that he will not leave us orphaned kind of two parts of a whole, a rhythm and a cadence. We are not orphaned because we are God's offspring, God's children, and we are God's children, God's offspring, therefore we will never, ever be orphaned. It's a vision and a promise intended to comfort followers and listeners then and now, a vision and a promise intended to embolden us, so that we might live life unafraid. A vision and a promise intended to activate us. Because if such good news is meant for us, how can it be meant only for us? Therefore, we're called to share this good news with all, especially with those who might not believe, those who might find it hard to believe, those whose experiences have built barriers, whether constructed by themselves or others that have gotten in the way of claiming God's love in their own lives. Paul's building a case for faith. 
He's already had his conversion experience. It's led him to prison and on this long odyssey where he goes from community to community to community. He was forced to flee from the city of Thessalonica and is delivered to Athens, cosmopolitan Athens, diverse, pagan, secular. And Paul comes to know the city. He travels around, and we are told he's deeply distressed by what he discovers. It's a a city full of idols. So first he takes his case to the synagogues to debate the devout Jews that are in Athens. And then he takes his case to the marketplace, to the public square, to take on those public philosophers in first century Athens. Now on the one hand, they dismiss him. How can any of this be, they say. But on another, they are intrigued, intrigued by his passion and his vision. So they bring him to the Oropagus, which is a kind of an open forum where Paul will make his case and take his stand. First, in a positive way, he notes how religious all these Athenians are. That's a good thing, he says. But he differentiates their gods, the ones made of silver and gold and stone who live in shrines with his God, who made heaven and earth. And he tells the Athenians that they have been searching for such a God, the God in whom they can live and move and have their being. Search no more, he says. And he told them about God, about Jesus, about the resurrection. Some of them scoffed, but some who were compelled by this claim that they are the offspring of God, not of an idol made of silver or gold, some were compelled and believed and followed. God's offspring, which gives us a deep assurance, not only in this world, in this moment, in this life, but in every world, in every moment, in every life, we are God's children. We are God's offspring family, community. And because Paul so clearly and deeply connects that message, that relationship between God and humanity to resurrection, we too make that same connection to Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. You might remember last week, Jesus told his followers of the place he was going to prepare, God's house, where he would take them, and he continues in this conversation with them, his farewell address. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. Jesus' commencement address. I don't know about you, but everywhere we turned on Friday and Saturday, we saw young people dressed up going to proms and dances and balls, and every Facebook post is either that or the commencement service that somebody just had attended. Hundreds, if not more, commencement exercises happening. Speakers, some there because they are very accomplished, some there because they are very wealthy and have contributed money to that institution. They 
they do their best to impart wisdom to a bunch of graduates who could hardly be less interested in what they have to say. Nonetheless, we have commencement speakers. And this section of John's Gospel is kind of like that commencement address. How it differs, and the disciples still are unaware of this dynamic, how it differs is that Jesus is going and they are staying. He's attempting to prepare them for his death, for that time when he won't be with them. So first, there's this charge, if you love me, keep my commandments. The commandments continue to be the roadmap for living, but he knows how difficult his absence will be. He knows more than they can ever know, so he tells them that he will ask God to send an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And then he tells them this, I will not leave you orphaned. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. I will not leave you orphaned. The writer Anna Hausman Butler says this, orphaned, alone, without guidance, without support, without parents, without anyone. Mostly, orphan means being so isolated in this world that it feels like no one cares whether or not we live or die. Orphaned, really depressing, at least it can be, and terrifying too. Although an image, she says, of children first comes to mind when we use that word, any of us can be orphaned at any age. In fact, on any given day, a lot of us are orphaned, at least in spirit. And then she tells her own story. I lost my father to cancer when I was eight years old, and so became a half-orphan, and thus appropriately half-terrified. I became a child who on the surface was fine, but inside was frantic in my love for my mother, always on the edge of panic where her well-being was concerned, desperately afraid that something would happen to her and I would be completely alone in the world. Anxious fear was a constant childhood companion. She continues. If we really look to see, we find orphans of some kind every day. If we really look, we encounter people every day whose primary fear is that they are unlovable and thus will always be alone and isolated in the world because the world tells them they are. She goes on, people we encounter every day if we choose to see them deal with so much financial trauma, job loss, physical illness, spiritual desperation, emotional isolation, instability, want, disrupted relationships, abandonment, violence, the list goes on. Any one of those things not only can make us feel abandoned by the very concept of love, but also unworthy and for sure unlovable by anyone. I don't know where you are in your own life journey, 
your own life narrative. I don't know where you would place yourself in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we really look, we encounter people every day whose primary fear is that they are unlovable. I don't know when or where you found yourself in that affirmation or where those you know have, maybe your children, maybe your friends, maybe your aging parents, but I bet there's been a moment, a year, a season, an experience where your own lovability has been deeply in question by others, even by yourself. And Paul reminds us that we are God's children, an unshakable, unbreakable relationship that we've done nothing to achieve. And Jesus assures us that even when he is gone, he will not abandon us, leave us alone in the world. I will not leave you orphaned, Jesus says, and it is in that promise that we are called to abide, especially in those moments where we might feel orphaned the most. We belong to God, our tradition teaches us. We belong to God and to nothing or no one else. I believe that. Even when it is difficult to believe, I believe that, a belief that is always imperfect. If you come to this afternoon's Coral Evensong service, you will hear a lovely anthem, a lovely tune set to a text, lines scratched into the wall of a German concentration camp in World War II. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I don't feel it. I believe in God, even when he is silent. This is not easy faith, dear friends, but Easter faith. Faith wrought by experience, faith wrought by a promise and a relationship. Faith that will not orphan or abandon us but will love us and love us and love us still. Amen.